possedit me in initio viarum suarum. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his ways. Those were the opening words of today's first reading. And they come from one of the books of wisdom. They are applied to Our Lady precisely because from all eternity she is in the mind of God along with Jesus. This is a mystery, and a mystery in theological and liturgical terms is not a problem or a puzzle or a whodunit novel. It is rather a truth that is so profound we can never get to the bottom. Indeed, God willing, in all eternity, we will still be plunging into the mystery of God's infinite love. Now, this had been understood in the church in many circles for centuries. But in the year 1854, Blessed Pope Pius IX solemnly declared the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And in that proclamation, he stated that by one and the same divine decree, God willed the Incarnation along with the Virgin Mary. The Latin is uno eodemque decreto, by one and the same decree. Now, we might say to ourselves, yeah, everybody knows that. But think about it. God could have brought the Incarnation about in any way in which he wished. But from all eternity, he willed the humanity of Christ. And that only came about in the womb of the Virgin Mary. From all eternity, he is the Word, the Son of God. But in time, he would take on a human nature like ours. But a perfect human nature. St. Thomas Aquinas states that there are three quasi-infinites, so to speak. Quasi, almost, not quite. A certain, 
a certain infinity. What can that mean? Something short of infinity, but just barely. The first of these is the humanity of Christ. God created a body for his Son, which he would create in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That is almost infinite. Short of infinite because it's created. He also created Mary quasi-infinite. Almost. To be as perfect as possible as the one in whom the Word would take flesh. Perfect because anything short of perfect would allow him to be marred by fallen human nature. Perfect as the heavens in his mind before time began. This has been repeated many times in the magisterium of the church since 1854. I won't enumerate them all for you, but they occur even in the documents of the Second Vatican Council, which speak of an indissoluble bond between Jesus and Mary. What the Franciscans for hundreds of years referred to as the joint predestination of Jesus and Mary. Think about it. From all eternity, Jesus in his humanity is linked with Mary. That's why we heard that first reading today read to us. Pope St. John Paul II, in his great Marian encyclical Redemptoris Mater, says that Mary is present in the mystery of Christ before the foundation of the world. She doesn't exist yet except in God's mind, but she's united indissolubly to Jesus. That word indissoluble is also used by the Church in its canon law to state that a genuine sacramental marriage is indissoluble, something that cannot be dissolved except by death. Now, for hundreds of years, ever since the Reformation, Catholics have been accused of Mariolatry, of putting Mary too high to the extent that she blocks our adoration of Jesus. But that isn't true. There are those who also will take the position 
Ah, the council spoke about a hierarchy of truths. Mary isn't there in the center. That's for Jesus. True. But she's indissolubly united with the center. So we speak about the devotion, the veneration that we have for Mary as higher than that of the saints. The saints receive what in Latin we call dulia, and Mary receives hyperdulia, hyperdulia, the highest conceivable veneration that can be given. Because God created her as the most perfect creature that he could create. St. Bonaventure would say that God could have created more beautiful heavens, but he could not have created a more beautiful Virgin Mary. And John Henry Newman, who was about to be canonized, said the same thing. Greater than Mary is only God. We cannot imagine any person, human person, greater. And so it is right that we should celebrate her birth. Already in her Immaculate Conception, God had prepared her in the most perfect possible way to be the dwelling place of his divine Son. <coughs> Something which is often sung here in the choir about his preparing the, this Virgin Mary to be the habitaculum, the dwelling place of his Son. Could he have done less? No. And so, today, as we celebrate her birth, we rejoice. And we need to grasp this, that God raised her precisely for the sake of his Son, to be worthy to bear his Son, to be the Theotokos, the Mother of God. Higher, as the choir at times sings, or the scola, than the cherubim and the seraphim, the most perfect creation that he could create. He couldn't create himself, but after the humanity of Christ, his most perfect creation is the mother of God. Newman noted something shortly after his entrance into the Catholic Church in 1845. He had very clear vision of what he called liberalism when he received his cardinal's hat. And he said that foreseeing and seeing what was already happening in Anglicanism, that 
where Mary is honored, Jesus is adored. And he said, take a look around Europe. This is over 150 years ago, almost 200. And he said, look at the countries where Mary is still honored. They still adore Jesus. Look at the places where she is not. He could see the loss of faith even then. It has grown enormously. I recall several years ago that there was an advertisement in the local paper in New Orleans where there is a large Baptist seminary. There's also a Catholic seminary happily. Announcing in the Baptist seminary a debate that would take place on whether Jesus is divine or not. I was stunned. I couldn't believe that even Baptists would advertise such a thing. But unfortunately, the inroads of liberalism, secularism, were making their way. Where Mary is honored, Jesus is adored. I think that's one of the great explanations of the blossoming of vocations in this community over such a relatively short time. Every Marian feast is a joy to celebrate, and because of it, Jesus is adored. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,